Welcome to another episode of Because Money, where we are having real conversations about money, finance, and important stuff like disability. No, 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 really, it, it's important. <laughs> uh, disability insurance. We have with us the senior financial planner from Spring Plans at, at springplans.ca, Julia Chung. She knows a ton about this. She is, in fact, licensed to sell insurance in her past and works a ton in the insurance industry. So she knows a lot about this, and she's going to give us a lot of details about not only finding your own disability insurance, which we talked about with Chris on a previous episode. And by the way, Chris does have his insurance settled, and it is an important thing to do. But she's also going to talk a lot about the insurance that you're going to get through your group plans. So stay tuned. It is actually a lot more exciting than this intro is making it sound. It is important. And of course, if you want to support these real conversations about money and help keep this podcast going, please do visit us at patreon.com slash because money, where you can donate some of your hard-earned money to help us keep this conversation going and to pay for some of the behind-the-scenes costs. So stay tuned for the episode and we hope you enjoy it. It's a conversation and a product and a problem that lots of people need, but not many people want or are even asking right now. No, because because I'm not gonna be disabled. I'm not gonna plan for that to happen. It's sort of like, you know, the, the biggest thing that I expect to hear during a discovery meeting is the answer to, you know, do you have a will? The answer is no. I'm expecting you to say no. And the reason why is because not because you know you hate your family, which which is what you would think. Like if, if you if you're not writing a will, you're saying I hate my family and I would like you to fight. You know because I mean that's the way I look at it. But the reality is is that nobody hates their family. That's not what they're saying. What they're saying is, I, I first of all I don't want to think about this. This is really hard. I could spend time, money, and energy on it. And if I, in every single scenario, I will never experience the outcome. I will benefit uh, zero from this, right? And so there's, true. there's no reward for writing your will. There's no, and, and we live like an immediate gratification kind of society, right? So um, what what's the benefit? I'm going to spend a couple thousand dollars on getting my estate put in order, or I could go to Mexico. Yeah. No. It's more fun. Mexico, for sure. It most definitely is. But it's 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 kind of disability lives kind of halfway in between those two worlds, right? You know, because it's, it's, it's one of these things, you know, John kicked off our last episode with like, uh, making it super real moment of, of just like, the problem with disability is you can have somebody who can't feel like they can contribute, but the costs go way up, like it gets even more complicated than life insurance, which is clear cut. You know, like, and not even just complicated as a product, because that's, that's one thing, but like, you do benefit from having disability insurance, but it's a situation that nobody wants to think about and nobody wants to think is possible. And I also think that it's not necessarily like something that people, I don't know many people that I know are on disability. You know what I mean? Like that have disability insurance and, and, um, use that resource and maybe there are people but that discussion like in the same way that people dying or people using life insurance I or people, people you know those people <laughs> indeed but it's it, and that's i don't know if that's part of it is this the fact that fewer people <laughs> have disability insurance or fewer people are talking about you know having disability and living on disability like i don't 
I don't know, but either way, it's really hard to imagine. And it's really, and it feels more rare than it actually is if you look at the numbers. You sort of have these unconscious rules of thumb in society about what personal finance does. And I'm what we blog about is um, fighting some of that. Like people seem to just have this 10% rule of thumb that adds as to how much they should save without actually doing a plan to see how much they should save. Uh, and people have this sort of milestone in their heads that, oh, as soon as they become parents, that's when they need to go and get life insurance. Not that they necessarily do with great regularity, but uh, at least there's some sort of unconscious awareness of life insurance in the general population that I really do not see uh, when it comes to disability insurance. There doesn't seem to be a milestone that's out there in people's minds as to a time point to get disability insurance, or they might not even be aware uh, that it's out there and exists. And in some cases, it might be more important insurance that, like I, I was um, making the example for our own family, where if one of us had died, I mean, Low income family with no flexibility to cut costs. So if one of us died and we didn't have any life insurance, I mean we could adapt by having the surviving spouse and the uh, kid move to a smaller apartment and cut costs and live off the remaining single income. It would not be ideal, but we could manage. If one of us became disabled, and that's not terribly a hypothetical situation for our family, um, without disability insurance, then we have the costs of maintaining a larger house for all these people continued, as well as even increased costs related to healthcare and uh, that sort of thing. But then the income's gone. And so the disability was the more important thing to try to insure against. Totally. That is, that is like, so incredibly true like that the risk of becoming disabled or ill is so much greater than the risk of, of dying sort of like within your working years I mean we're all gonna die with a hundred percent chance of dying at the end of this life but I mean between you know now and the point that you stop earning money your chances of becoming disabled or ill are much, much greater than your chances of dying during that period. So the risk is greater. The costs, just like you point out, is so much greater. There's, there's just, yes, like the whole thing drives me insane because people don't really think about it. And especially when you're young, you don't think about it. And, you know, particularly with young men, those are the people who are often going to hurt themselves because you're more likely to be in a physical labor job and you're more likely to do stupid things because you know. <laughs> because just of just the man thing just that i think that, that stands for itself i don't know exactly what it is i'm sure there's been science done on it there's been rampant science done on it and it's the results are always the same you know young men do things that later in their life they look back and say that's really dumb that's yeah. It's super dumb. Like I should be dead now, and I'm not. So that's <laughs> super. But um, maybe I did end up being disabled. And one of the things that that I find really frustrating about disability insurance conversations that I have, particularly with business owners, is, oh well, you know, it would take, you know, almost uh, the the deepest kind of disability where I'm in a coma before I would stop doing my job. Because I can do my job with broken arms and broken legs because the only thing that matters is here. Well, guess what like the number one disability claim is right here. 
it's 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 what's going on in your head and it's things like like depression and anxiety and um for someone very close to me there's uh there's brain injuries and those can happen to everybody and there is no job that you can do effectively over the long term with that and, and everybody's at risk for those things and can i and even things that aren't directly affecting your brain because of a brain injury you can still have cognitive uh, deficits uh, just from other things that happen. Like if you get cancer, you might fully recover all of your mental capabilities once all the cancer's gone. But while you're on chemo, while you're on radiation, it's a well-known side effect that your memory and your concentration uh, are going to suffer. Absolutely. And, and the fact that, you know, your body is pretty connected two broken arms and two broken legs you can say oh but i still have my head You're, you don't have your mobility your entire routine in your life is is rearranged in a huge way like don't just take the moment like if, if i take my moment to really think about you know i have been lucky to have no no major injuries in my life but i i had fractured my ankle i don't know three or four years ago and was so surprised at the effect it had on my mood, on my life, on my ability to work. This was a fractured ankle, but I couldn't move. I couldn't do my life like I normally did. And so all of a sudden, especially living in Toronto, all of a sudden I had to change things. And I, you start feeling trapped and you start feeling like you can't run your life the normal. That's what we're talking about. That's, that's this, and that's a fractured ankle. So like when you extend that in, in larger ways, like that's the thing. And, and yet again, it's, it's a bit like having the, the retirement conversation with people to say, you know, I never want to retire. And you're like, that's great. We don't plan for it. it. Some people plan for it because they want to be done working and they're done and they want to do other things. But you don't have to plan like that, but you do, you should think about the fact that maybe you won't be able to, or maybe you want to not have to. And I think that that's a really key thing with disability too, to say, you know, yeah, maybe you can do your job completely well with major, major injury, but wouldn't it be nice to maybe not have to, or to have yeah. a bit of, um, just a bit of a, a safety safety net in place so that you don't have to do it right away. <laughs> you know, you can find six months or nine months to just adjust to something. Well, and to heal, right? Like one of the number one, but pretty much the number one way our bodies heal is through sleep. And if, if you're like most of the freelancers and business owners that I know, you probably don't get enough of that, right? And that's already a problem. And so now you're disabled and your body needs to heal some part of it. And you're still not sleeping. In fact, you're sleeping less because you have to work harder to get to the places where you're going if it's just a physical disability. Like, and really most of the time it's gonna, for most people, it's gonna be a cognitive disability. Like when you look at the statistics of what people claim on disability, it is often, you know, mental nervous system kind of stuff. So, I, yeah, I just think people should think about it a little more deeply. I think one of the reasons why a lot of people don't, though, is that it's often covered under group benefits. So if you're a regular employee and you have a good benefits package, you're going to have very often some kind of disability insurance. So if you have always kind of been an employee, then it's never something you think about. And you're like, 
I'm going to go open my own business like everybody seems to be doing these days. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, I need this much money. Right? But and they don't factor in the extra benefits that they got and how much those actually cost to go out by yourself. And then they choose not to have them. And then, you know, they get in the car accident. And they can't work and there's no safety net. <laughs> Can I ask, um, so one of the things about disability insurance is that you can't, you can't just say the words disability insurance and it covers the nature of every policy. You know, it, there's vast differences from policy to policy, from what's covered to what's not, to all of these which things. Which makes it even harder. Which makes it really hard. So it's, it's uh, what, what's it, like your general understanding of, you know, your generic, um, you know, long-term disability plan, is it okay? Are there kind of major holes? One of the things that I'll just, when I was talking to um, the broker that I was working with just this last fall, he was talking a lot about, you know, what's covered and just the fact that a lot of the time it's like physical injury will be covered, but specifically uh, often things like soft tissue damage will not be covered. So structural kind of damage, he has better words for it. You'll have to forgive my kind of like lack of technical knowledge, but like the specifically talking about like structural, those issues are covered, but once that's better, it's, it's fine. But like even within the realm of physical injury, soft tissue stuff, no. And you're like, well, that's, that's, usually more likely to cause lasting chronic problems than that's why they don't want to cover it exactly <laughs> and, and that makes sense on a certain level but like i would imagine that even with the people that are covered under uh, under their their work with a good benefits package uh, you have to be kind of aware of what's actually in there because i would assume that there's a, a wide variety of of coverage within that, especially if they can stop the L like long distance, a long term disability stamp on it. I've got that, but what do you actually have? Yeah. Do you have experience? Like, what has been your experience kind of diving into some of the policies and seeing kind of what's actually there and what's not? Well, there is nothing more fun than reading disability policy contracts, but uh, <laughs> and I've read a lot of them, um, and so there's there's really like. There's the group disability insurance, um, which you get through your employer or through an association that you belong to, um, and that is much, much cheaper, usually, mm -hmm. than the insurance that you can get individually. And the reason why it's cheaper is the risk is spread across everybody in your employer group, right? So everybody kind of shares the cost. It's like socialism kind of insurance. And um, there's a couple of things that I'm looking for when I'm looking at someone's benefits package. First thing I'm looking for is short-term disability. A lot of people don't have short-term disability, so I'd like to know what they have instead. The reason why we're looking at that is because long-term disability only kicks in after a certain period of time. So you are covered after you have been considered fully disabled by the rules of this contract um, starting at such and such a date. Uh, sometimes it's 17 weeks, sometimes it's 191 days. So you, you have to figure out what that is. For uh, someone I work with, it's six months. So what are you supposed to do until that happens? Now, your employer may have purchased short-term disability. Your employer may have a sick leave policy that will cover that, or your employer might have nothing and be like, <laughs> you know, too bad on you. You're going to have to be fully disabled for four months, not collect any pay. Yeah. Figure it out. Um, so that's one of the places where that, like having three months worth of expenses that you hear about all the time available in cash, that's one of the places where that number comes from. 
is that a lot of times you have to wait for three months or somewhere in there for your disability to kick in. So check that on your group policy first. Do you have short-term disability? If you do not have short-term disability, find out if your employer self-insures or if you're expected to cover that yourself. Um, that's the first thing I find people miss. Sure, um, and then when it comes to the long-term disability through your employer, there's a couple of things you want to look at. Uh, one is the benefit period. So usually benefits periods will be to your age 65. Yep. That's the good one. <laughs> five years, they'll tell you, oh, most disabilities don't last longer than five years. Oh, super, I'm gonna bet on that one because it's cheaper. But oh, you've got one of those disabilities that lasts six years, <laughs> too bad. Right? So you don't want that one. And then there's some that are two years. That's, that's not good either, that's super bad. Uh, so <laughs> take a look at that benefit period. A lot of times the group disability coverage will say, you know, if you're not able to complete the regular duties of your job, mm -hmm. so that's sort of like assessed between you and your manager, that you are therefore fully disabled under the terms of this contract. It's usually fairly simple what that means. And, but then what starts to get complicated is the own occupation period. Yeah. So the own occupation period is generally two years, whether you're in a group plan or an individual plan. And that says that as long as you can't do the duties of your regular job, uh, you are considered fully disabled for the first two years. After that, if you can't complete the duties of any job for which you are reasonably educated, then... <laughs> then you kicked off like yeah. if you can do something else but again what's important to remember there is that it's like from which which kind of like suits your education so they're not going to say hey if you can go flip burgers get lost right so they're not going to say that to a lawyer yeah right but what they will say to a lawyer is oh okay you're too disabled to go into client meetings but maybe you can teach law school or that seems way harder than going to client meetings Probably. but you know <laughs> you, you but your example still stands it's just it's always funny when i i think that before i came into finance i would have been completely in disbelief on how many times the finance world uses the word reasonable it's oh, yeah. it's and don't get me started on tax code <laughs> but, but that's that's where it's written everywhere it's just it's always funny because it's there needs to be subjectivity, but it doesn't help give people information. You know, it's, it's what's, and what's reasonable to some people, you know, when you look at the idea of an insurance company, it's easy to think, are you going to think anything is reasonable? Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and from what I've seen with a lot of clients I've had who've been on disability is that that to your point is a bigger deal on a group insurance policy than it is on an individual insurance Interesting. policy. And the, the other, th one thing that I ran into, so I had a client who was uh, permanently disabled. She had a, uh, one of those chronic pain diseases, okay. really terrible. And um, so because it's permanent, she also qualified for Canada Pension Plan Disability Benefits, okay. which uh, gives you a little bit of money for you and a little bit of money for each kid that you have. And so she had those little bits of money. But what she didn't know until she found out later was that her group insurance policy, and lots of them have this, have an integrated kind of rule, which is that you can, while on disability, you cannot earn more in total from all sources than 85% of your pre-disability income. 
So if her disability income from her policy plus her disability from her CPP, including the benefits for her kids, which they don't care if they're for her kids, they add in, uh, exceed that 85% amount, then she owes them money. <laughs> so they don't even garnish the next payment, they actually send you a bill. Yeah, she, well, they'll garnish the next payment, but what they did is like, it had been a couple months in, she didn't really know how this worked, she reported the income, and then they were like, oh, yeah, so we're not paying you for a couple months. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, and she had three kids. <laughs> and then and then to try and just get her payments restarted and to determine the right amount and they said that she owed them like eight thousand dollars and she's like i'm on disability where what do you mean i owe you eight thousand dollars and it's you're like, not what you you guys are the one that pay me like you yeah. know where my money's coming from yeah she's got zero dollars from any source oh. and like eventually um her two oldest kids ended up moving out of her house into the housings of family members because they could afford to feed them because she couldn't afford to feed her kids. I mean, it was, it was really, really unpleasant. And so um, I, I stepped in and I don't do this often. Anybody who's listening to this, don't imagine that this is part of my job, but I, <laughs> but I did step in on this case and uh, helped do the math because the insurer was doing a really bad job on the math. Oh, brutal. And so we had to like send math back and forth and eventually I got her, her, her payment back and she didn't end up owing them any money because they had starved her out for so long. Anyway, so that's, that's, that's a horror story. You need to understand your disability insurance. That 85% rule is standard in group insurance policies. So you need to understand that. It, this is, it's a really hard, this, this always feels like one of the big cruxes of especially insurance and kind of knowing benefits and things like that is that really understanding your policy is so important. Just kind of understanding what you have and what you don't have and what you need. But those are really difficult things to do for, you know, your average person who, they're difficult for people who read insurance contracts all the time. And this is something that when you start to kind of dive into more policies, and as I just start to kind of read more policies, now you realize that like, they're just so different. Like they're, it's hard to understand what you have in front of you, even when you get the benefit of seeing multiple contracts, which yeah, most people don't get like, to see. There isn't like a standardized, this is our most common policy. You can come to us and get this, these sets of standardized terms. And the only thing that varies is your individualized rate based on your risk. And this one has the Julia Chung stamp of approval. And here are the caveats to that so that you know going in what to worry about. Like, I, I don't think that exists in any kind of insurance. No. It, it's, Definitely not. I it's, wish, I wish. There's not even standardized. Number 205. It, it, this is a, this is a big problem though, right? Like, because it, it's it's a it's it's really huge if people don't understand. Like, this is a matter of life or death, Literally. you know, in, in the extreme situations. And yet, it, it's just it's very very frustrating because it, it, I understand you can't. There's no part of me that feels like I can responsibly say, well, you just need to read your policy. Because <laughs> no. nobody will, but even if you do, I'm not confident that anybody's going to understand what the standards are and what, like, where the, what's the pertinent information here that you need to draw out, you know, and until you've seen a bunch of situations, it, 
it, this I don't is like know. a hundred page legal contract, right? And so in order to, to determine that like whether or not this is a good contract for you, you have to understand whether it's this type of insurance, that type of insurance, that type of insurance. And then you have to understand what all the legal definitions mean. And even like that 85% rule I talked about, if you read the paragraph that's in every contract about that, people are like, yeah, those are numbers. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Like it, they're, they're not easy to understand. They're not excellent wording. And quite frankly, nobody, I've had my insurance license. Nobody taught me how to read legal contracts when you know I went through yeah. the process of getting my insurance license. They didn't even teach me about insurance, quite frankly. But uh, <laughs> I had to learn that from other insurance advisors. So buyer beware with your insurance advisor as well. Uh, if they haven't spent time reading legal contracts, they may not even understand what they're selling you. <laughs> and so the consumer doesn't understand the people selling them some of them understand some of them well, don't some, fair enough but it's it it's really difficult and i uh, this is one of the things we talked about last time too that uh, a, an excuse that you can find really quickly and one of the ones that was bouncing around in my head was i don't know how to find a broker that i can trust that is so if i know that both of these people exist these people that don't know anything and these people that know things but if i'm sitting here and going I don't know. Like, I, I don't know how to find this person. And I have a few more advantages than other people do. So it, it's, it's difficult. It, it just, it becomes this problem that there's multiple layers to why people would avoid it. And then even oh. when they have it, you know, you don't even know if you have it. Like at least with life insurance, even though there's bells and whistles, if you have it, you have it. You have something that if you die, it will pay money. If you keep paying premiums. You know, it may be cheating you on a back end or be too complicated or be too much or too little or any of this stuff, but there's a basic thing there. With disability, it's like, what do you have? Yeah. Is it going to be there when you really need it? And, and is your thing going to be covered? How much? What does that look like? Um, you know, are they going to come back and say, you know, oh, yeah, that's the number that's on this thing, but actually we need to look at your last two years of income and relook, and this is how much you get because this was based on that, and now we base it again on kind of your current situation, which is, you know, you were talking a little bit about employed people. You know, it's, it's another, and maybe even more important for people in the kind of precarious work environment kind of heading out to make sure that they're covered in the same way, but income-proving and all of that becomes a different situation. And, you know, we can talk about, the different situation and then there's always also the not everybody can get it oh god i know you know um one other thing i just just remembered while we were talking um was um another thing i want people to look for when they have a group disability policy is the non-evidence limit this is something that nobody reads or pays attention to so you get your little group benefits package and it says oh you know my my benefit is going to be X times my earnings. And the non-evidence limit is $4,000. Neato. Nobody ever tells you what that means. So what that means is if, let's say you earn $10,000 a month and uh, based on the calculation in, in your policy, you should be getting $6,000 a month in disability. But the non-evidence limit is $4,000 a month. What do you get? You get 4000 unless you have gone to the insurance company and said, I would like to submit 
evidence of my good health and fill out your form. And then that form is submitted to the insurance company and then they say, oh yes, you can exceed the non-evidence limit. So this is something you have to do before you get disabled. Oh yes. Okay, see now I've done a lot of reading of my disability insurance policy from my work. I did not pay attention to that. And now I'm gonna have to go back and see if that's in there and do that myself. And again, like Chris was saying, we have certain advantages in terms of like talking to people and this being front of mind. And still we come up short. Like, what can we do to fix this industry? So I think I think it would take a lot for there to be a big shift. And in the meantime, consumers are not given the information that they need and a lot of times brokers aren't taught by the industry enough information to do a really good job certainly in the group insurance field which is you know where a lot of people have their insurance a lot of people never end up talking to their insurance advisor hmm. they see their hr advisor their hr advisor hands them a book and they're like pick some stuff which is sort of like the same thing with your group rsp right the number yeah. of people have been like i have a group rsp i I get to pick from these 10 funds. I don't, I don't get even the option of choosing the couch potato model portfolio or anything. I have these 10 funds and I don't know what they mean. It's just like a guy walking into your office and being like, I have a box. And you're like, great. Ah, there's things in it. And you're like, cool. And you don't get to see what they are or get them explained to you, but you have to pick some. So let's say, let's say you get, some insurance of some kind because you watch the podcast and you're like all right fine i mean as long as i'm on the podcast i'll just put this up in the little window and i'll go and start shopping for insurance right now and I'll which get is it a great thing to think about the podcast which is actually not a bad thing to do if you're on your yeah. computer and you're not listening to this on your commute or whatever just go and do it right now get it done. <laughs> we can jabber in your ear while you're shopping for quotes and i wish again i had prepared a list of someone to go to I mean, as much as we try not to promote and have sponsorships and whatnot, it'd be great to just say, yeah, go here and you'll be able to get it. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, it is probably going to be different province province. And, yeah. It is, yeah. Yeah, and I honestly don't know who to suggest. Um, but let's say you did get insurance or you're lucky enough that you work for a large employer that has a crew plan and then you just have disability insurance and you might not even know it. And then something happens and you get disabled or you die and you can't communicate to your spouse that you have that insurance. How now as the spouse, do you figure this out and get the money that you're owed? Ooh, good question. Good question. I think the first place to start would be with the employer, you know, to see if there is something there. Um, and then second place to start after that would be, you know, hopefully you have access to those person's bank accounts. Power of attorney people important document um, <laughs> but uh, hopefully you have access to this person's bank account so you can pay the bills and we'll see uh, maybe a charge coming out and uh, say it's an insurance company charge it'll usually have the name of that insurance company attached to it so you can call in and they will give you the right amount and that will suck and I'm sorry but that's one of the ways to look for it um, so so if I have the name of the insurance company and the name of the person covered is that enough to just sort of like call, hey, Sun Life, um, you know, John A. Robertson has become disabled. He's got a policy with you. Can you help me? Will they actually do that? Or do you need to come to them with like a policy number too? Do you have to unearth that from? Well, ideally, a policy number and the agent who sold the policy. 
that's mm. that's the best way to know so like if you have purchased this type of insurance please share it with your spouse give them you know if you have a, if you have a policy booklet your insurance advisor will in of course have given you their business card staple it to the outside of the policy they may retire and find something else to do but at least it's a place to start um, but it, yeah if you don't have the policy number uh, and you just have like the person's name and the insurance company, they will probably direct you to the agent, but there, there's some privacy concerns. So the best possible thing you can do is have the policy number in the policy booklet, and then call the company. And there'll be a number for the company on the policy booklet saying, you know, like, if you wanna make a plan, call this number. So that's, that's your best way to go. But definitely have power of attorney. I know that's probably a whole other conversation, but kind of is really important. It's actually one we were talking about in the, the last episode that we recorded, kind of the conversations around with your parents and, and figuring out, you know, Will's, just the importance of having those discussions. But it is really good to know that the kind of pertinent piece of information there or the policy number and the name of the, the agent that sold, that, would, that wouldn't have been something I would have thought of. And so like, if you're thinking about what's the important information to share with your partner, with your family, with kind of, the people that are important yeah that's what's the first that you have one then the policy number the first that's, one is the the biggest the most important thing and what i've seen a lot is people are like oh like i have take all my will and my power of returning and all my insurance policies and i put them in my safety deposit box and i'm like that's a really good idea so who else has a key because if you're the only person who has a key then no one can open it when you're dead so um <laughs> this is another version of somebody walks in with a box it's in here no no but you can't get I, in i there. promise but you can't get in and neither can i but it's here <laughs> <laughs> exactly and that's one of the things that i find so fascinating is like but it's really safe and in my safety deposit box i'm like awesome so how are they going to get in oh well they'll be my executor super how are they going to know that if the will's in the box <laughs> <laughs> it's fair well, there has to be a communication side of it. There, like nothing is ever going to going to actually replace the talking to a person and telling them you did these things. It, documents are great. Documents are not. A communication is not always a replacement for documents. That's so. This is a two pronged attack here. Yeah. yeah, and having those conversations is really really hard in a lot of families. Like a lot, a lot of people are like, oh. You know my spouse is just just gonna start crying and i'm like yeah that sucks so talk to them anyways <laughs> and i and for a lot of people who are like oh you know i can't have that conversation with my parent i can't have that conversation with my child and i say blame the financial planner i've been yeah. talking to a financial planner and they told me i had to have this conversation and very often i would give them a little document with questions you can ask yeah and things you can say because people people are really lost we're really bad at these conversations i think it's super cultural which is, could take us veering off in another direction but it's uh, why i'm going to put up the kickstarter for potatoes uh card game of doomsday advice and uncomfortable conversations oh this is the idea that we had last time we're going to have uh, like a dark and a light side of a game which is like it's john and his his like jarring statements that make you terrified about your finances like he always like like his disability one that finally made me go get it and then on the other side it's sandy and i like 
hugging you and comforting you about your feelings and telling you that your feelings are valid. <laughs> so you like, oh. you choose what you need. It's like, no, no, I need John right now. But you can buy it for people that you care about, but don't especially like. <laughs> Yeah, that's family right there. Please. <laughs> the financial game for people you care about, but don't especially like, that's a great tagline. <laughs> I, think, I think that's perfect. I think that's very, very excellent. I, I love this. But they, they really are so hard conversations for people to have. And that's one of the things that's been a big lesson for me as a financial planner, because um, I probably do think maybe a bit more on the same lines as John does, where it's like, well, here's, here's the information. What? Do the thing. Right? <laughs> like, I don't understand why you're not doing the thing. And they're like, oh, but feelings and, and love and tears and things. And I'm like, but there'll be less of those if you do the thing. <laughs> what? <laughs> but it's, it's, it's become, you know, over time, I've started to realize that it, it does, it takes people and it's super okay. It takes people time to get there, but um, we don't have tons of time. So if people can find some ways to process those feelings really quickly or reframe, like Preeta did in his book, like just reframe it, make it about caring for people. And, you know, like with estate planning and insurance planning, it is the most caring, loving thing you can do for your family. I feel like, like almost bar none. A hundred percent. I, yeah. I think that that's such a that's such a valuable way to and reframing is such it, it's such an important thing to do just because so many people think differently you know there's just there, we need to be reframing all the time not because the way that we're framing it is wrong but just because there are always people that are not reached by the way things are currently framed and I think that's one of the things in the financial industry in general is that it generally the conversations are framed in certain ways for certain types of thinking and so it's just about re re-looking at the same things it's 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 so it's so art kind of taking the same seven or ten stories and telling them over and over and over and over again it's just it it is such an act of love it is such and this is what honestly the biggest thing and I'll, I'll repeat it because it was it was the thing that got through to me in a huge way when we were talking about disability shooters last time and we were talking about in classic hippy dippy chris way we're like well let's talk about you know what what's alternatives to insurance for people that can't get it and you know family and non-financial assets and john was like dear aunt beatrice i'm going to be staying with you for the next 10 years of my life because I didn't get it because I didn't go and get a quote for disability insurance. <laughs> and the truth is, is just like that just kind of seeing my inaction as an incredibly selfish thing. Um, a, a selfish thing to say, this is not just about me. If I become disabled, I, I become, a, um, I'm trying not to say the word burden. <laughs> that's how I felt like it, because it's not I, I don't want to try to say that but you, you, you become something that has to be taken care of yeah. and and if I go through all the hoops it completely they, they might not necessarily see it as quite that bad because they're nice people and they love it, you exactly but, but, the if that happens. but the truth is is that I need to be careful and if I felt in that situation if I was you know lying in that bed and saying I could have done something more to help here I would feel like that's what kicks into my, like, just being like, I would feel terrible. You would, you know, on top so of just, everything um, else. Just for reference for the listeners, um, 
how long did it take you to get disability insurance? So that when we're saying, oh, you know, dear on B, I didn't take, was it 10 minutes? Was it 10 hours? Somewhere in between? I called, I spent the next kind of day or like a really short time after just kind of, because my, one of my big blocks was I need to find a broker. So I just was like, okay, let's make a list of people I can call. Um, and I just started calling people. And so I was just like, I called four people. Um, people, insurance brokers are very prompt. I got a call back from somebody very quickly and I, you know, ended up getting kind of, he referred me to their disability person who was really good and answered a lot of my questions and, and kind of, I felt comfortable with him. He was at my house the next week. Um, he lived North of Toronto, but they make house calls. And so he was in my house and, and he, brought he had like he called me about a bunch of information um but he had brought specific policies that he thought would go well what i liked a lot was that he had emailed and called a bunch of underwriters about an opera singer specifically and how to get me underwritten and because one of my other blocks was that my occupational class wouldn't be covered and so he had kind of gone to bat with me with a few people behind the scenes and just shown me that work this is and he got me qualified, which I was really, I think is a, like a 2A, um, which for artistic classes that are generally classified as uninsurable, mm -hmm. he just had the right people to email in order to cut my, uh, cut my uh, premium in half from what it would have been if he wouldn't have had that email address. So that was enough for me to trust that he knew what he was talking about and the way we talked about it. He had like a few stories like about how he's a legit insurance and salesman that he told every time that we met, but he's still a salesperson, but you know, he, it was a really good experience. And I had, you know, I, I had the policy kind of confirmed um, within two months, but the work that I did was done in, two weeks including a house call for somebody and yeah, that, all that kind of stuff hours. Like, that's no like, no no the amount of work that i did was researching people and then on the phone for probably around 20 minutes honestly it was very efficient we spent an hour together with him kind of talking me through and we filled out the the policy right there um and then i got a call uh, from the insurance company and we did a health survey. I didn't end up having somebody come to my house to do, but that, that was something they chose not to do, not something that I chose not to do. Um, it, no, it was not a lot of time. I, it feels really good. I'm so happy to pay that premium every month. I'm, I'm, I just, like, I feel it, So it's, it's, it doesn't take a lot of time. Um, and I think reframing it until you find a way to f make it fit, it's something that's important So just take the time not to, if nothing we said today clicks, just think about the issue a little bit more and try to look at it from a different way because it's an important thing, you know, whether it's from the people, the inconvenience that people have or the inconvenience to you or the fact that you can feel like you're still contributing or, you know, preach analogy or, you know, make it feel like you're just growing up and, and that you're maturing and that you're taking control of your life, like whatever those things are, find the one that, that resonates and that motivates because that stuff matters, but it, you have to find the thing. Absolutely. So I'm going to jump a little bit with another question for Julia. Okay. So you seem to know quite a bit about insure, um, employer-based group plans and 
that sort of thing. So let's say that again, I'm lucky I've worked for an employer with a group plan. And then like so many people do, I leave my job and I go somewhere else. When does my plan end? The day I leave, the day I give my notice, do I get like six months of grace? How's this work? Termination day. Okay. So should I be thinking, unless I'm walking right into another job on day one, about some sort of bridge coverage and is that easy to get or should I just hope I don't get into a car accident for six months while I'm on probation at the new place? Bridge coverage can be really hard to get. So um, yeah, it's really hard to get. And when you're newly self-employed, it's also really hard to get. So um, when it comes to disability insurance, uh, Sometimes people will get a small policy, a uh, small individual insurance policy that kind of sits on top of their group insurance policy because uh, there's a maximum amount that you could potentially be insured for based on your income, right? And so you can't go necessarily get more disability insurance, or if you do, it's not going to be a whole bunch. Um, so sometimes people will get a, a little plan that sits on top, and it's usually called like stepped coverage. So it would kick in at a point where your regular disability would fade off. Um, that's something that you can potentially look at. Um, but yeah, you're usually you're usually kind of in a bad situation when you're in between jobs. And, uh, and if you're self-employed, you're usually um, in an even worse <laughs> situation in that, uh, in that a lot of insurers won't insure you until you have like two years of self-employed income, proving that they are in fact insuring something. So you might be flying without a net for a while. If you belong to a professional association, you might be able to get some disability insurance through them. So that's something that you should look at as well. That's something that's available to you. So you can add all that to your dear Aunt Beatrice letter. Dear Aunt Beatrice, so it's just really hard to get a bridging benefit and I just finished, and I'm just starting out right now, so I don't have a lot to insure, but I'll be staying on your couch for the next. <laughs> <laughs> so if, you, if you are going to be a freelancer, become self-employed, if you can walk out with a year mm. of, of income, you know, to live off of whether, you know, your business fails or you do, at least it's a little bit of a safety net. Yeah. Uh, there's no, there's no perfect number there, but a year would be amazing. I did not have that much. I feel like, <laughs> I, feel like I talked to very few people who have it, but it's still a really good idea. It's a super good idea. If you can do that, do it. I feel like a year of income and also the skills to know that that will last and to live within it. Yes. <laughs> this is like the pairing that people don't talk about. It's like a year of income, you're like, but also an ability to know that you can live on that for a year, which is another. You put it of... over here and then give yourself <laughs> a paycheck. But um, about mortgage insurance, uh, just so people kind of understand what this is, basically it is uh, insurance that is offered by your mortgage provider. So your bank gives you mortgage and then they're like, oh, by the way, um, you should be insured for life on your mortgage amount. So this is different from CMHC insurance, which yeah. is, a, is another thing entirely, but this is the life and disability and critical illness insurance that is on your mortgage itself. I do not love this. This is not great insurance. Every insurance advisor across the country will be like, ew, Mortgage insurance, the worst. Um, so what is wrong with mortgage insurance? Well, it costs about the same as term life insurance. 
and uh, as and it covers the total amount of your mortgage. If you're doing the right things with your mortgage, your mortgage is going down. <laughs> so is your life insurance benefit, and you're still paying the same amount. And when you die, or if you die, while that mortgage is in place, the benefit gets paid, oh, not to your family, to the lender. So declining insurance paid to your lender, that sounds dumb. Um, and every time you go to get a new mortgage, you get a new insurance policy at your new attained age and blah, 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 blah. It's, it's just more expensive and dumb over time. If you qualify for insurance, go get your own standalone insurance, not mortgage yeah. insurance. So it's, the, it's basically the difference between like insuring your debt versus insuring your house. Could you say that? Like, it's kind of roughly the idea, like mortgage insurance is saying, I'm insuring this mortgage. And as the mortgage amount goes down, so does the amount that you're insuring. But yeah. you're insuring the debt as opposed to saying at the beginning, I'm going to insure the value of, of, it's still the value of the mortgage, but it's kind of attached to the house this time. And the nice well, thing the about- the, the big difference is, is like, I'm protecting my bank or I'm protecting my family. That's a better way to put it. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's what people don't realize because the bank says, well, this is protecting your family because you won't have to pay, they won't have to pay the mortgage. And that's not a terrible thing. That's a good thing. But um, if you just pay roughly the same amount and get a standalone policy, like your mortgage is $250,000 at the beginning and you have a $250,000 term insurance policy. And when you die, your mortgage is $200,000. You still have a $250,000 insurance policy if you bought term. I have a right? question about this $250,000 mortgage. Is it on a small fishing shack? <laughs> 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 it's in the interior of BC where there is apparently houses being sold for like three hundred thousand dollars. Excellent. Yeah. Oh, actually, probably the interior of the company. Honestly, just the whole <laughs> middle part of the country. I think you can probably still find something for three hundred fifty thousand dollars. Maybe not Calgary. I'm not sure. I, I was I was trying to use reasonable numbers, but then we get into the like, oh, you have a two million dollar mortgage. Everybody kind of shuts off, and you're like, ah, I'm in so much debt. <laughs> Feelings, right? Yeah, we're trying to stay away from feelings with insurance. Insurance is just numbers. Well, mortgage insurance is definitely it's one of those like life insurance, but even more than that, that people really encounter. There's like if there's house and car, which are everyday kind of stuff. You know, even renters insurance, which is kind of in that area. Mortgage insurance is that thing where if you go through this milestone, if if this is an experience that you have, somebody will talk about mortgage insurance to you. And one of the worst things that I find is that a lot of times clients are saying, well, my lender said I had to get it. Yeah. And I don't know if, if their lender is in fact saying that, but if they are, they're lying. Uh, they don't, you do not have to buy the mortgage insurance through your lender. You should have insurance on your mortgage. I agree with that. But you do not have to buy it through your lender. No, you don't. And there's all kinds of things that are wrong with like the underwriting on mortgage insurance and ah oh, it's terrible it's ugly it's not reliable go get someone else any more insurance questions john yeah um i can't think of anything at the moment i mean if you've got anything that you think we should have asked but didn't i mean we, we don't have to pitch it as a question you can just start giving us facts or anecdotes or stories um i mean you've already shared a few of the anecdotes from your own life but if there's anything that you want to give us as a cautionary tale or a tale of where something worked out well, feel free to do that as well to sort of leave us on an inspiring note. 
or a haunting one. <laughs> it is inspiring in its own way. Yeah. Well, um, I do. I do think, like, you know, when I the the best thing that's that's happened for uh, the people in my family who have ended up on permanent disability is actually talking to somebody who knows about insurance and cares about them, and you know, calling that person when they were making a decision about which flex benefit program should I choose, you know, go in there with help. Like it's not reasonable to assume that everybody's going to understand what the heck they're picking from. Get some help. Ask somebody whether there's lots of insurance brokers who actually will help you through this. There's lots of nice people that will help you through that. They might try to sell you something on top of it, but because they're salespeople, <laughs> but they might help you through making those decisions. And that decision, uh, you know, just to, to pick the, the largest chunk of disability insurance that you possibly could has made the life of, of the person in my family who's on permanent disability a lot better than it could have been. Oh, and just another thought. When you pay your own disability insurance premiums, the benefit that you receive is not taxable. When your employer pays it, the benefit that you receive is taxable. If you're trying to convince your employer that they should bring in disability insurance, which you should do, <laughs> tell them that you will pay your own premium. It's cheaper than getting it out there in the world as an individual policy. It's not usually as good of, or robust of as a policy, but it's a policy and it's not bad. And if you're offering to pay your own premium, it's better for you. And it's an easy thing for your employer to provide. That's a really good tip. I've had a couple people go back to their employers and like talk them into it. And their employer's calling me being like, why are you asking my employee? And I'm like, I'm just trying to help you. They're going to stay longer if there's disability insurance there. And it won't cost you anything. Get the disability insurance. <sighs> God. God, just give them disability insurance. Oh. <laughs> it's, it just reminded me of, I ran into some high school friends that I hadn't seen in 25 years. And... Um, I, like off the cuff, I said one of the things I apparently have been saying for 30 years, which is if people would just listen to me, their lives would be so much better. <laughs> I have yet to be proven wrong. <laughs> I just don't understand why that's not the tagline of spring financial policy. Totally should be. Just listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> just, just do it. It'll be better. It'll be It'll better. Be fine. You don't want to make these decisions anyways. Just let yes. me make them. <laughs> They'll be better, and you'll be fine. <laughs> it's the opposite of DIY. Yes. Well, no, they should still go do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to tell them what to do. That's fine. Yeah, that's true. So they still DIY. I, I, I'm going to work on an acronym later. I'm going to work on an acronym. John's going to work on a new list for insurance brokers that we can all trust. <laughs> yes. And we're yep. all going to read the frozen longer. And then we're all going to read the frozen longer. It's important. <laughs> I think they're all going to have a pretty good week. <laughs> all right, that's all we've got for you today. If you liked what you heard, head over to iTunes and give us a really good rating. That really helps people find us. That would be awesome. And if you loved what you heard, why not check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash because money and lend us a little support so we can keep doing what we're doing. I am Chris Entz and you can find me over at ragstoreasonable.com. I'd like to thank my partners in crime, Sandy Martin, who you can find at Spring Financial Planning, springplans.ca. 
and John Robertson, who you can find value at Simple or his blog, Blessed by the Potato, which is holypotato.net.